Daniel chapter 1, we're actually going to finish the chapter, we're going to pick up some steam, we're going to c- cover a good bit of ground today, and we're going to start moving a good bit quicker through this book now that we've got some of the, the context and foundation, if you will, of, of what is happening in this fascinating narrative that we have heard often, but maybe not set in as um, thoroughly as, as, as we have, at least for me this has been rich to set in this book and in this narrative a lot, a lot more and longer. So we're going to read, we're going we're gonna to start with uh, verse 11, and we're going to read to the end of chapter 1, and then we're going to ask for God's help with it. Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 11, says, Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had, ex- had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he said, Test your servants for ten days, and let us be given vegetables to eat or, and water to drink. And then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and, and you deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the other youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for the... as For these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them was found none, or none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let's pray. God, we confess as your people that this is your word, and we want to submit to it. So we ask first for your spirit's help to understand your word and what you have for us this this moment, that it is living and active and that you are working in different hearts at different times and then collectively as a body. So we ask for your help to understand it and then we ask, Lord, for your help to receive it, to apply it and trust it. So would you use me to that end today, Lord? Speak through me by your spirit May your word accomplish its purpose. We ask and hope and submit in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, <clears throat> I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a, lot of, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of division. There's a lot of conversation. There's a lot of fighting about what is good for our country. And this happens, uh, you know, often with politics and uh, election years and, and sorts of things like that. But it, it seems to be ratcheted up to at least what I've known as an all-time high. And, and, and here's the interesting thing, is that there's God being used on both sides of these conversations, that there, there are people saying we need to move in this direction and, and that because this is the loving or godly thing to do. And then there are other people saying, no, 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 we need to move in this direction or stay in this place because... This is the godly thing to do. And, and it creates this really disorienting thing. And, and, then, we, and then we can have fear and, and, and just, man, what's, it, it, it feels. I think this is one of the more uh, unsettling and um, it just unsettling times for, for us as Christians. Because what's happening is, is you know, we are called to, to uh, live faithfully, to follow 
God, and, and not that we've ever been in this place where we pretended that, you know, America was perfect, but as the people of God, we have, we have experienced a lot of time where, where America had sort of a moral leaning that aligned with Christianity in such a way that, that really it, it made things different. And really, I think when we read, you know, books like Daniel within that context of Christendom that has reigned for, for many years in America, it's, it's so, somewhat difficult for us to relate. But in a, in a time like this, when we see the, 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 the tide shifting and the, and the culture moving in this direction, it can feel like things are, are sort of slipping out of our control, if you will, or, and maybe we've wondered if they're slipping out of God's control. And, and, and what do we do about that? Because there's pulls to go e- either direction, right? That, okay, well, here's what we need to do. And there's these opposing sides, and it's to the right or to the left. And and, and what, do we go here? Do we go there? And then it's this doubling down, and those, those extremes have gotten even more extreme. And, and so all this infighting, and it feels difficult to sort of navigate. What, where do we go, Lord? What is our, what is our response to this? And, and, and again, it's, it's complicated because for us as Christians here in America, we, have, we actually have influence over the culture and, and our government in many ways. We get to vote and we get to, we get to uh, you know, hold our legislators account. Like this is a beautiful and really unprecedented place that we live in that makes us different in so many ways um, from what Daniel is experiencing, certainly. Um, and many people throughout history have not had the privilege and the ability to influence their culture and their government in a way that, that we do. And so that's a beautiful thing, but it also makes it difficult to know exactly how much energy and hope do we put there and versus, okay, what does it mean to live faithfully in this? And here's the big idea. Here, here's where I'm headed is that for, you know, for, you know, from the time of the first century when Jesus launched his church, that his people are no longer defined by a nation. Okay, and so that's a difference between us, right, to be Jewish, and they have a nation. Now, whenever he is, God's people are defined by an ethnicity, right, to be Jewish, and they have a nation. Now, they're scattered, they're in exile, and, but, but they are defined by that ethnicity, and so that is God's people, okay? From the time of the New Testament and Jesus launching his church, that is, that is no longer, we're no longer defined as a nation, but rather as the church. And the church transcends national borders and countries and, and is scattered all over the globe. And that is God's people. And so that is a, a difference there. And, and really what is the call of God's people in the midst of culture is, is not to make the culture Christian, but rather how do we as Christians live faithfully in the culture? And that, that is difficult. Even this morning, I was like, Lord, I don't know if I'm, like, there's so many things that we could, you know, jump off into and try to teach on and, and, and pick apart. And I, I just felt a little overwhelmed. Like, man, there's so many things that we could, you know, really apply and try to ask questions about because of the uniqueness of our country and, the, and, and in a good way, right? Because we do have that influence. Because we can, in some ways, you know, leverage our vote, leverage our voice to in some ways, make the, the culture more Christian. And so that's a really beautiful thing. And we don't do that to win this battle. We do that because we believe God's ways, right? His rules, his morality is good for humanity, right? It's good for the world. It's going to go better if we, if we live this way. But we are in this time of like, okay, now we're having to navigate new waters. Now it seems like the culture is going places that maybe we don't, maybe it's beyond our control a bit. And how do we remain faithful? How do we live faithful in the midst of a culture that is 
not even faithful on paper anymore, right? And so that is the, that is the tension for us, is, is how do we as God's people make sure that we are living faithfully in the midst of a culture instead of focusing all of our energy on trying to make that culture into a Christian culture? Now, don't get me wrong. We still want to pray and, and offer our input and our leverage, our resources, our, our vote, all of those things toward bringing God's morality and his standards for the good of the world in general. And as much as we can do that, we want to do that. However, we as God's people for centuries and still are called to be a, a sort of a a nation within our nation, right? A people within our country, a city within a city, if you will, where we have God, we have our citizenship in heaven, and that defines how we live, what we do, who we submit to, and how we submit, and, and what we do with all of that. And we remain faithful to that God, to our citizenship, to that king, primarily, and then we still have a presence within the world. Jesus said that we would be in the world, you know this, right? In the world, but not what? Of the world. How on earth do we do that? Okay, how on earth do we do that? How do we remain in the world, but not of the world? How do we live as wise as serpents, but gentle as doves? How do we go about that? And I think there's, there's, we're having to answer questions that we have never, many of us have never had to answer in our day and age. And, and I want to continue to speak into some of those specific things, and we're going to do that through some videos and podcasts and different things in the, in the upcoming weeks, really kind of take specific issues. And okay, what does the Bible tell us to live about that? But today we're just going to look at some, some bigger, broad principles that we can derive from Daniel and his friends and their faithfulness in the midst of this and, and, and really apply it to, okay, what instruction does this give for us? What principles can we also attach ourselves to um, to live faithfully in the midst of an increasingly unfaithful culture? So that's, that's our hope today. We know from the, the rest of the story, if you haven't been here with us, we're walking through the book of Daniel, and we've seen first and foremost from the very get-go that God is in control, right? That God allowed the, the, the nation of Israel, they're being disciplined. He allowed them to be carried off into exile, that he actually gave King Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, right? That this is God's plan. He's disciplining his people, but he's also using it for the glory of himself amongst the nations. And so that we, we, we know that, and Daniel knows that. That's part of what fuels him and allows him to be faithful in the midst of this, is knowing that God is in control. So in review, there are going to be powerful figures and people in people in positions of influence and power that are going to have influence over our lives and the lives of many. That is going to happen. We're going to have people elected. We're going to have empires that are going to rise and fall. That is, that is true throughout history and will continue to be true. Daniel is experiencing that. He was carried off by King Nebuchadnezzar away from his homeland into a foreign land and like based, put into an assimilation process. Like it's, it's crazy. So Daniel is experiencing that, and we also will experience people in power and influence having, you know, Influence over our lives. However, the, the big idea that we're seeing in Daniel chapter 1, and is going to be this pattern and a promise that we'll see throughout the whole book, is that any power actually has heavenly origins and God is actually in control. That we're getting a peek behind the curtain here of what's going on with Daniel, what's going on in the nation of Israel and as they're being led, in, or Judah rather, as they're being led into Babylon. And that, that God, that anybody who has power is actually given that by God and they're serving his purposes, whether we can see how that's playing out or not. It's often very mysterious. How, what on earth are you doing in this, Lord? We often can't see that. 
And nonetheless, God is in control. So knowing that, secondly, we, we see that Daniel realizes he has an enemy. They want, to, they want to crush him, that Babylon is not a neutral force, that they indeed have an agenda, and that is to reprogram him, reshape um, his worldview, break down what he, knew, he has known about Yahweh, what they have thought about their faith, their worldview, and repackage it, right? Reshape them. Cultural assimilation, like we have, so secondly, we have an enemy. God's in control, but we have an enemy. He has an agenda, and that is to destroy us. And then third, we see that Daniel has, has chosen and, and resolved in his heart that he will fear God over any man, Nebuchadnezzar included, and he resolves in his heart, makes up his mind, determines, as we looked at last week, to obey God in the midst of this, no matter what the consequences will come. So we've established all of that. God's in control. We have an enemy, though. He's trying to take us out, but we're going to live in fear of the Lord, right? And we're going to know that we're all going to stand before him one day. Daniel and his friends got to stand before Nebuchadnezzar, and that matters. There are consequences to that, but Daniel's looking beyond that saying, okay, but I'm, I know I'm going to stand before the king of kings, and I'm going to live my life looking ahead to that day. The fear of God allows him to have this conviction. So Daniel has this conviction, but now... That's not in itself enough. He has to, now, how do you live that out? How do you obey? How do you actually live in a culture so adamantly opposed to Yahweh and what God is doing, his worldview and our faith? How do we live faithfully in that culture? And that's what we're going to look at today. And, and, and primarily what you're going to see is we need three th- or a few things. First is humility. Second is wisdom. And then third is a trust in God that, that plays out. And then that's going to lead us to focus on personal holiness over cultural standards. So we're going to need humility. We're going to need wisdom. We're going to need trust in God. And that's going to lead us to focus more on personal holiness than it does on cultural stands. So let's dive in and let's look at what Daniel does. So Daniel is brought in. We know if, if you've been with us, he's likely, he's already been given a new name for sure, him and his friends. Uh, many commentators believe, and, and I have since been convinced, that he was likely castrated. He was made into a eunuch um, based on just the bigger context of the Bible. It doesn't explicitly say that. It's possible that it's not true. Nonetheless, his identity has been stripped and given a new name, and they are now placed in this university-like program where they're going to learn the language and the education and the worldview and all the ins and outs of the Chaldean worldview. The Babylon system, the spirit of Babylon is at work to reprogram to destroy gender, right? We talked about that. It's our enemy's plan to deconstruct what God has put in place. The, the family, right? Man, woman, kids, multiply, have influence, have dominion. That's God's plan. Satan doesn't like that. Satan is coming against that. So he's going to destroy that any way that he can. Coming after biblical masculinity is going to be one of his primary attacks. It was true here. Still true today. Okay? And so... One of the things that, that he's doing is, is not just, I mean, he's done some bad things. He's taken them from their home, given them a new name, likely castrated many of them. And, you know, so those are not great things, but then he's going to give them a really comfortable life. He's going to give them food from his own table. What's going on with that? He's trying to cultivate a dependence, a reliance, an affection for Nebuchadnezzar, right? Who's, who's, our, who's our man? Who's our who's our our provider, it's King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Come eat this food. Give this, you know, enjoy this food. And, and what we're going to see is that the, the story focuses on Daniel and his three friends. And we're familiar with them. 
But they're not the only ones who were carried off into exile. You realize that, right? It says that among them, if we go back to, uh, let's see, verse 6, um, it says, among these who were carried off, right? That's, that's how it sort of started. They were carried off into this plan. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So that means there was others, right? So what you're going to see is even in the book of Daniel, you've got kind of three primary groups of people, right? You've got the godly few, if you will, right? The, the, the path that leads to righteousness, their eternal life is narrow, right? And few who find it walk it, but the way that leads to destruction is wide. It's many, right? Jesus said that. We're going to see there, there's a godly few, and Daniel and his friends are in that group. It doesn't mean they're the only ones. They're ones we kind of get the biggest insight to in this story, but there's the godly few, and then there's the ungodly majority, meaning the Babylonian empire is full of people who do not care about God. They're not interested in Yahweh. They're not interested in getting to know him or obeying his you know, way of life. They have no real interest in God. And frankly, their demonic false gods have given them riches and power and success. And so for them, life in Babylon is kind of they're heaven, right? Like they're getting what they can get out of this deal. They're going to milk this life for all that they can get. And honestly, it's been kind of good to them. Things are going well in, in, in some regard, right? And so the ungodly majority is the Babylonian Empire. They're not concerned about God at all. That's not how they roll. They have their other false gods. They're not concerned about Yahweh. I guess I should be specific. But they're using their gods to get all they can out of this life. Right? And that's sort of their version for heaven. They have no appetite for the kingdom of heaven. Most people in our day are sadly similar. We have to have this understanding as we, we look at the people who are putting out policies and, and, and things that we are fighting against. We have to understand that they don't see things the way that we do. They don't have the same heart, the same loyalty to God. They haven't been born again. And we have to understand where they're coming from and understand who we're dealing with, and that will help us to navigate rightly. And then the third group of people is a bunch of people who would say they're God's people. They would say they're believers, right? But they don't seem to be following him at all. How do I know this is true? Well, first of all, that's why the people of, that's why the people of Judah are in exile. They had not been obeying God, right? They had refused to repent, and God was disciplining them. So there's a bunch of people who identify as Christians, but they're not living as Christians. You know anybody like that? <laughs> just, we got a whole large percentage of our country, right? Check the box. Yep, I'm a Christian. You look at their life. That doesn't add up. Yeah, it's all over the place, right? So this is the third group. We would call them lukewarm Christians or cultural Christians, right? They're everywhere in our day and age. There's people that claim to be God's people. When you look at the fruit of their life, it shows no evidence of that. Okay, so how do we... How do we make sure we're not in either one of the last two groups and we move toward the, the, the godly minority? Well, first of all, we got to kind of go back. I, I'm not going to re-preach last week's sermon, but we have to look at the fear of God. We have to make sure we're fearing God above all else, and then that will give us a conviction to follow him in the midst of whatever consequences come. Once we have that established, now we can look at, okay, what does it mean to be a witness? What does it mean to live in the midst of this? So, Daniel has resolved not to defile himself with the king's food. We'll talk about why that is in just a moment. But that's his plan. He knows that's the, the line in the sand that he's drawn. I'm not going to be defiled by the king's food. He's made up his mind that whatever consequences come of that, that's his plan. But listen to how he approaches it. Right? Let's go back up to um, verse 8, actually. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. So what does he do? Does he, uh, does he throw a protest? 
So he put himself a big sign. Uh, does he make a post on Facebook about how ignorant Nebuchadnezzar is and ne never will he, you know, never will he get me and can't believe this group of people has done that? What does he do? He, it's, it's crazy. He asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. This is crazy. This art of just like humble conversation seems to be a thing of the past. I don't know if you've noticed. Everybody just seems to put everybody on blast on Facebook and, and fight these cultural battles with our megaphones and, our, and, our, like, and we've lost all civility to just go, hey, I don't want to do that because I'm going to follow Jesus. Would it be okay if I did this? Right? Some of us were just like, oh, I didn't, I forgot, oh, I didn't know I could do that. I thought I had to be a, I thought I had to be a crazy person. I thought to follow Jesus meant this, right? Or this, either I fully assimilated and go over here and I don't care, or I'm going to throw a fit. I'm like, please don't throw as many fits, right? We need less fits. Doesn't mean, there's, a, there's a time and place for fits, okay? We'll get to that. But here, what does he do? He shows humility. Humility and grace and just modesty and he, and he asked, so he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to not defile himself. You imagine how that conversation goes. He goes, hey, man, I, I want to remain faithful to my God. I, I'd rather not eat that really, really good food. And we talked about last week, Ashpenaz, chief of the eunuchs, is like, man, I like you, but we do that, and that's my head. So probably not. It's not a hard no. Ashpenaz just kind of leaves it. Well, what, is, what does Daniel do? Does he throw a fit? Does he attack him? Does he tear him down? No. He, he actually just goes a step below him and presents another solution to the steward. That is, that's where we pick up in, in verse 11. Then Daniel said to the steward, so this is sort of down the chain of command. Ashpenaz is the chief of the eunuchs. He says, uh, if I do that, that's going to cost me my head. Love you, Daniel, but can't do it. So Daniel goes, hey, you're the one going to be bringing me the food. You're the one handling all this. Steps down the chain of command to the steward and says, hey, just test us. Just test us. Give us 10 days. We're going to eat nothing but vegetables and water. I don't know, man. I like to think I'd be faithful to Jesus, right? The gun to my head, do I, do I believe in Jesus? I'm, yeah, all day. Gun to my head, you got to eat vegetables and drink only water? Man, I don't know. I'd rather have the gun, I think. I, like, I, that's just not me. Like, ah, I need some meat. And I could drink water through the day, but when it comes to my meal, I need a Coke. Like, I'm just being honest with y'all. Like, I look forward to that, and, and that's just kind of my thing. So this is difficult for many of us, but this is what Daniel says. He says, hey, give us just vegetables. The language there actually allows for there was probably some grains as well, but not the meat, not the, not the wine, not the good stuff. And he says, Let's, let us eat that for 10 days. We'll eat vegetables, green foods, and water, and then... Let our appearance and the use of the others be observed by you, verse 13, and you deal according to what you see. So Daniel says, hey, I don't want to defile myself. I understand it's going to put you at risk. Let's do it this way. Let's, let's do a test. Give us just vegetables and water. End of the 10 days, look at all of us. If we look worse, then you got to do what you got to do, right? You got to kill us, whatever. He doesn't say, I'll start eating. He just says, you, you got to do what you got to do. Right? This is crazy. So Daniel has humility. He has just a, a modesty about his posture. There's nothing hateful that is said. There's nothing 
um, crazy. Like he is just humbly obeying God, choosing to even privately, that's a notion that we've lost as well. He's privately obeying God, right? Some of us, we're so, like if we don't put it on Facebook, we don't put it on social media, it didn't happen, right? Nobody would know. Daniel's just privately saying, hey, we don't want to do that. Can we just, can you just give us our vegetables here? We'll eat them and we'll go on about our day. We're not going to make a fuss. We're not going to mock. Everybody else is doing their thing. That's fine. Can we do this? And, And it's crazy, the humility that he sees there. And then secondly, and listen, so we as God's people, we need to have a little more humility. Again, there are times when we need to make a hard stand, right? But that comes into the next thing, wisdom. Right? The next thing we're going to need is wisdom because it looks like there's only two options for Daniel and his friends. Is one, they're going to defile themselves with the king's food. Or two, at least their new buddy Ashpenaz is going to lose his head. But likely there will be consequences and maybe death for them as well. It looks like those are the only two options. Either eat the food or cause some death. Right? Now we don't have a lot of choices that are facing us like that, but increasingly we're going to have to choose, okay, if, it, if we follow God, there are going to be repercussions on us culturally, socially, even legally. What is that going to look like? How are we going to proceed? Well, listen, before we just start blasting everybody, we need to stop and ask the Lord, hey, Lord, do you have another way? Lord, what would you have me do? Daniel shows wisdom far beyond his, his age here. Keep in mind, parents, this is a teenager. That's crazy, Right? In our world, we've just kind of given all teenagers a pass on being ignorant. We've extended, like there's no biblical category for adolescence. You realize that, right? That's a new thing. We've just extended that. You're not a kid anymore. You're not really an adult. We'll just give you this indefinite period of adolescence, and it just keeps getting kicked down the road, right? You're not going to get a job. You don't have to get married. You know, 25, 30, you just got these adults that, that aren't given adult responsibility. And so in our, cult, in our culture, it's, just, it's, it's almost mind-blowing to think that a, that a teenager or a young adult could be so bold as to have wisdom and conviction and follow the Lord. It's crazy. But that's what we see here. Is this is, these are young men. Not only do they have conviction, not only do they have boldness, they're showing wisdom here. Where do you think they got that? You don't think, you don't think Daniel was like, okay, Lord, how am I going to handle this, right? As I told you, he's got a 700-mile journey that he's walked already. You don't think he's been having some conversations with the Lord? How many of y'all, that's when you really start praying, right? The, 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 the vice gets put on you, and you're like, oh, okay, Lord, I'm on my knees. I got it. Let's, we got to do a lot of talking, right? And, and you don't think Daniel's had a lot of conversations? Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, help me. Help me know what to do. Help me know how to honor you. It doesn't explicitly say that, but we, we know from later that Daniel has a prayer life that is intense. And so we, we, God gives him wisdom and shows him this third way. So we need to have humility and ask the Lord, what is our approach here? Because there are going to be times. We can't just lay this template of Daniel on our lives and say, okay, we got to do this. Because there's going to be times we need to speak up, right? There's going to be times when we need to say, no, absolutely not. We are, you know, this is the line in the sand and, and we're, we need to be vocal about that. But there's other times when it's just a humble Private obedience is what we are called to do. And sometimes it's going to take wisdom to know how we can do that. Because on the surface, it looks like either defile themselves or heads are going to roll. Daniel says, Lord, what do I do? And God, audibly or just an idea, gives him this idea to present this, hey, give us a test, right? So Daniel has wisdom. Now, the next thing we're going to see that Daniel obviously has is a trust in the Lord. Now, that kind of 
lays over the whole book, and we kind of said that earlier, but this is, gets really specific. It's one thing to say, I trust in the Lord, I have faith in the Lord. But when you come on an uh, issue like this, where if God doesn't show up, you might lose your life or your wealth or fill in the blank, right? Then, in those moments, do you actually trust the Lord? Do you have faith? Listen, Daniel, like, imagine this tension. He's putting himself out there. How many of you have been afraid to pray boldly for something from God because what if he says no or what if he doesn't show up? That's me. I, I struggle with that. I struggle to ask God boldly for things because I fear that he won't show up. Right? I struggle with that. Daniel here believes that God is going to show up. And if not, it's going to cost him his life. He has a trust in God. He knows that God is with them even in this exile. Daniel has been shaped and formed to trust in God. And, and he's been told that, hey, we were supposed to obey God. We didn't. That's why we're in exile. God is going to be with us in exile. He's going to use this exile for his glory. And he's going to be with us in the midst of it. So Daniel is trusting in God to show up or else. Listen, if you don't have any moments like that in your life, then you need to stop and ask, Jesus, am I really following you? If I'm not living in such a way that, that there is a tension there that, Lord, if you don't show up, if you don't provide for us, if you don't step in here, then there will be consequences. Then you might need to reevaluate your life. Have you really gone all in with Jesus? Right? All the time when Jesus was, was walking on, you know, on the earth physically and doing his ministry, people would say, hey, I want to follow you. And Jesus is like, all right. And they're like, well, hold on. Let me go, let me go tidy this deal up. Right? Let me go make sure that there's no cost to this. I got I to you know, tell my family bye. I got to make sure they're secure. And Jesus goes, no, no. Either you trust in me or you're not. Either you trust in me or you're not. That's a, that's a horribly short paraphrase of a whole lot of interactions in the gospel. What do you mean, Jordan? Should we all, do we all have to sell everything we own? Do we all have to you know, become missionaries? I, I don't know what God's going to ask of you. I'm just saying, if there's never been any moment in your, like, in your life where God had to show up, otherwise there was extreme consequences, then you know, are you truly following Jesus? Sometimes our comfort and our prosperity, we don't have a lot of need for faith. Right? We talked about radical spiritual gifts and God showing up in supernatural ways as we walk through the book of 1 Corinthians. And the reality is sometimes we don't see God show up in those ways because we're not put in positions where he has to show up in those ways. Most of us can pay our bills. Most of us can access the gospel and come to a church. You start talking to missionaries that are in third world countries or in closed countries and hostile countries, and you'll start seeing that God shows up in miraculous ways quite often to advance his kingdom. But sometimes we just don't have any space for that in our life. Okay, as we start looking at an increasingly hostile culture, there's going to be an increase in the amount of times that we have to put ourselves out there and trust that God is going to take care of us, trust that God's word is true, trust that the gospel is true, and if we get locked up, if we get put to death, then it is okay because God is on the throne, he has us in our hands, and it will have been worth it. we got to trust that way. Daniel has that sort of trust. And you hear the theme. If you look through chapter 1, you'll see on several occasions God gave. Starts out, God gave Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. But then later, we're going to see God gives them 
this gifting, right? In verse 17, God gave them learning and skill and literature and all wisdom. Daniel had understanding and visions and dreams. What's going on there? This is a beautiful promise that, that is actually being fulfilled from way back in 1 Kings uh, chapter 8, verse 50, when Solomon's praying and the dedication of the temple. It's this crazy thing. He kind of knows, hey, we're, we're sinful people, and he says that. And so when we sin and end up in exile, God, show favor. It, well, let me just read it. Solomon prays this hundreds of years before in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 50. He says, And forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions they've committed against you, and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive, that they may have compassion on them. Uh, there's, there's beauty in remembering that, that God doesn't, following the Lord doesn't mean prosperity in the sense of wealth, health, and whatever you want. Okay? Because Here's the deal. They trust God, and he shows up for them. He gives them favor. He gives them intelligence and gifting, and they test well at the end of that three years. But you know what? They're still in exile. They're still likely eunuchs. They're not going to experience marriage. They're not with their, their family, right? They're still being punished for somebody else's sins. You realize that. That following God doesn't mean a carefree life. It doesn't eat. The prosperity gospel is dangerous because it's flat-out untrue. It doesn't mean that we end up with this health, wealth, and prosperity. It, that, that's not how it works. However, God will be present with us and will give us what we need in those moments. And this is a beautiful testament to that, that God is showing up and giving his people favor and compassion amongst his captors. There's no reason for Ashpenaz to have favor on Daniel. Right? There's no reason for these things to be, but other than God is it work, and Daniel is able to trust this God, and he puts all of his trust in God. Listen, that trust means it's not always going to be this quick turnaround. Okay, okay, Lord, I did this, so now give me my reward. I want you to realize in the span of those just few verses, that was three years. Okay, that was the plan. These guys are going to be in this university under this dietary regimen, and then at the end of three years, they'll stand before Nebuchadnezzar, and he'll make a ruling on them. So you realize that, it's three years of Daniel and his friends choosing to be faithful and waiting and believing that God had them. Three years. And then even at the end of the three years, whenever they're ruled worthy and they get to go to work in the Babylonian machine, life's not good. Again, they're still away from their families. They're still likely eunuchs. They're still under a different name and their identity's been stripped and they're still under this hot-headed king named Nebuchadnezzar who sometimes just decides he's going to kill everybody that doesn't please him, as we're going to see in the next chapter. So things are still not well, and yet God does show up. He does reward, but it takes time, and we have to have a long view of God's faithfulness in, in his presence in our life. If we judge God's faithfulness and his presence in our life on the short term and what we get right now in this moment, then we are going to be increasingly and often confused, let down, and maybe even bitter toward God. But when we believe that God, following God doesn't get us out of all of our hard circumstances, but he promises to be with us in those circumstances, now that's a script, that's a narrative that will get us through. Okay, so Daniel has humility, he has wisdom that God gives him, and then he has a trust in God to show up. And it leads, I want you to just, the last verse, there's, there's just a beautiful uh, just nugget of, of beauty there. Well, we need, to, we need to kind of walk through the rest of it. So um, <clears throat> we did verse 17 um, and 18. At the end of the time, it went well. Uh, the king spoke to them, and all of them 
All the, all the people that were in this university, nobody stood out like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. I want to talk a little bit about that. I, there's this reality, like something I didn't have in my notes, but another thing we should have as faithful Christians following God in the midst of a faithless culture is some nuance. What I mean by that is we don't go to the extremes and buy into these ideologies and just argue this side versus this side. We, as God's people, we don't have our hope in that side or that candidate or that side or that candidate. And so we're able to have some nuance and go, yes, this, but not all the way over there, right? And, and yes, this, but not all the way over there. What are you talking about, Jordan? We as Christians, we, we ought to be able to say God has called us to care for the vulnerable people and the poor. That doesn't mean we're in on socialism and Marxism, right? We're able to have nuance there and say, yes, this, but not all the way over there. Does that make sense? We as Christians don't need to go to these polarized extremes. And yes, there is issues of, of racial injustice that need to be addressed, but we're not going where Black Lives Matter is going. We're not going into that critical race theory, cultural Marxism, where that takes us. We're not going all the way there. But do we need to stand up and call racism racism? Absolutely. Right? We're not going to defund the police. We need to hold them accountable, and when there's bad cops, yeah. You know what? You do the same thing with preachers. When there's bad preachers, hold them accountable, get them out of the deal, too. And we're getting rid of all the preachers. There's plenty of bad ones in them, too, right? So we need to be able to have nuance in that and understand it. I'm just giving you really broad examples, but, but here's the deal. You see what Daniel passed the test in? It's like magic and sorcery stuff. It's crazy stuff from Babylonia, right? But Daniel's able to learn in the university and chew the meat, if you will, and spit out the bones and understand that when they're studying science and they're studying astrology, there's truth there because this is God's truth, this is God's world, but not totally buy in to what's going on there, right? So they're able to go through this university system and they don't reject it full on, right? They don't they, they seem to answer to their Babylonian names, but they never give in fully to that. They call each other. They keep their identity, right? So they're attending these classes, but they're not buying in all the way. They're, they understand, well, okay, this is what's going on. This is, this is that. But there's the truth, not that, that God's word and God's worldview is being overcome or, right, or is to be put away, but rather it's going to actually be greater than all of that. So I could study that. I can listen. I can hear. And I can go, okay, I see why you have that passion. I see why you're moving in that direction. But that truth is just a partial truth. Let me tell you about the greater truth. Let me point you to the, to the source of that truth. Again, that's sort of a side tangent. I'll talk more about that in coming weeks and other venues. But I want you to go on to verse 21. And Daniel was there. So he passes the test. It goes well. And then it's just going to move on and say, and Daniel stays in that place of influence in the Babylonian Empire until the first year of King Cyrus. What that means is he just give you a look ahead that Daniel is going to stay then an outlast Nebuchadnezzar, the guy who's carried him off into exile, to the point of when Babylon gets conquered by Medo-Persia, and then you know, Persia sort of takes them over, right? That Daniel's still there, meaning he outlasts his capturers. He outlasts his conquerors. He outlasts the nation of Babylon. Why? Because he's put his hope in God. It's really not Daniel that outlasts. It's Jesus that outlasts him. And we're going to see that throughout the whole book. But hope in God, a trust in God, leaves Daniel still there, still present, long after Nebuchadnezzar gets taken over and the next king is in place for 70 years. It's crazy. It's crazy. All right. Now, point of, point of application, if you will. 
what all this leads to is that we as God's people should be far more concerned about our personal holiness than we are about cultural stands. Personal holiness is greater than cultural stands. Doesn't mean cultural stands don't matter, okay? Don't hear what I'm not saying. We're going to have some time where that's important. But personal holiness matters far more. What am I talking about? Look at what Daniel, where he draws the line in the sand. Would it have been that big a deal if he ate the food from the king's table? Many people are telling him no. And in reality, you could make the case that no. Was it just about it being kosher? Not really, because he seems to, you know, like it, it's, it's likely he rejects the wine too. And that wouldn't, you know, there's no rejection in God's law from wine, despite some denominations really firm belief. But there would have been no reason for him to, if it's just about Jewish dietary laws, it, the wine wouldn't have had to have go. But, but he chooses not to indulge in the wine. He chooses to just eat vegetables and, and maybe some grain and water, right? Just the things that come from God's earth, just the things that God is producing to remind himself that God is his source, God is their provider, right? Why is he doing that? Because he knows that there's a subtle and yet very powerful influence in putting ourselves under the stream of sin and even if it's not black and white sin, if we know our hearts are going to be drawn in this direction, we need to draw the line back here and not even entertain it. What am I talking about? Well, here, here's, here's a couple of examples. A lot of us would say, I'm absolutely against adultery. I never plan on cheating on my husband or my wife. I will not go there. That's despicable. I will not do it. But are you guarding your heart against lust? Are you ogling other men and women as you see them? Are you undressing them with your eyes? Are you watching porn? Because to just say, I'm never going to do adultery, but not to guard your heart from the influences that lead to adultery is foolish and hypocritical. That's why Jesus said that whole deal about, you know, you've heard you don't commit adultery, but I tell you, if you've lusted after a woman, you've already done it in your heart. That's why Jesus is doing that, right? It matters way back here, the subtle influences in our life, right? Many of us would say human trafficking is a terrible evil and it should stop and we will rise up and, and post and do whatever on Facebook to, to get that done and say absolutely that's evil, but will you stop watching porn? Because every time you click on one of those filthy freaking websites, you're empowering that industry to traffic humans and little girls and little boys, so stop it. Yes, human trafficking is evil. Absolutely. But when you click and you indulge, not only is your heart being taken over, but you're empowering that, minute, that, that industry that cranks out those needs. You say, well, I'm not looking at child porn. I didn't say you were. I said you're empowering that industry that fuels it. So if you're not willing to draw the line back here and pursue personal holiness over some cultural stand, don't bother with the doggone cultural stand. Same thing we preached a few weeks ago about abortion. Don't say you're pro-life if you're not doing anything to care for vulnerable kids and their families. You're not volunteering at a crisis pregnancy center or with Restore or some other way, loving on a foster family, then that's just an empty cultural stand that has no bearing on your personal holiness and your personal devotion to the Lord. Here we see Daniel choose to pursue personal holiness quietly, privately, humbly, and with wisdom. And you know what? God uses him to influence the culture later. Okay? But you can't reverse the two. You can't have no personal holiness in your life and think that you're going to be used by God to influence a greater amount of people. It just doesn't work that way. 
And I got to be perfect? No, that's not what I'm saying. But you pursue personal holiness over cultural stands. That's going to be challenged for us, church. It's going to be increasingly difficult for us, church. But that's how we move into the godly few instead of the lukewarm cultural Christians. But here's the good news. The, the point of this book is actually for us to not, it's actually not, hey, go be like Daniel. Because reality is we're not going to be. <laughs> Daniel's not perfect, but the scripture doesn't have anything bad to say about him. He does, he does quite well. He lives his life well. But the point of Daniel is actually to point us ahead to the greater Daniel, to the greater Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That there, there is coming a day for the people of God when another Jewish young man is going to be sent into a, a, a foreign country and he's going to be undefiled by its influences. And he's going to suffer for sins that he didn't commit to deliver his people. And not just the people who lived like Daniel, but the people who were still sinners, the people who were on the sidelines, who hadn't followed God faithfully. The Bible says that's who Jesus comes for. So there's hope for you and I, wherever we are, that Jesus came for us. Not when we were perfect, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the eternal kingdom that allows Daniel to be faithful in the midst of a faithless culture. That's what allows him to be there 70 years after Nebuchadnezzar. Nobody could have dreamed there would be somebody more powerful than Nebuchadnezzar in that moment. You realize that, right? He's running the known world. He is the, the buck stops with him on earthly, like he is the baddest dude that is, anybody's ever known in that moment. And yet he comes and goes. Who's still there? Daniel's still following Jesus. Listen, that's the hope for you and I. That when we follow Jesus and we trust in him, come what may with this world. Come what may. We will endure. Well, what if they take our life? They don't take our, they don't take our salvation. They don't take our citizenship in heaven. We have a hope beyond our, this life. We have a hope beyond this country, beyond this world. Amen? It's good news, church. It's good news. Let's, let's pray to Jesus and ask him to show up big as just our hope this morning and to do a work across this room. Lord, would you do that very thing? We don't even know what to ask for because we don't see your purposes and your, your agendas and, the, and your love for each specific heart and for us as your people. Collectively, you are bigger than we can imagine and your, your plan is better than we could have ever dreamed. And so we ask that you would make us receptive to your plan and to your movement this morning of redemption, Lord. For some that have never been born again, that have maybe said they're a Christian, but they didn't know what it meant, or they never truly trusted you, Lord, would you show up and, and allow them to see you for who you are and to turn to you and trust you for salvation. May they be born again this morning. For the rest of us, Lord, may have been following you for a few months, years, or a lifetime, would you call us closer to yourself? Would you give us an increased conviction to trust in you and allow us, Lord, to live with humility and with wisdom and to pursue personal holiness. Help us, Lord. We need it. It's in Jesus' name we pray.